Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. All right, John chapter 2, 23, which is the very end of chapter 2, is where we're going to dig in. And uh, I don't know whose Bible that is. It has lots of writing in it. Somebody who took notes. Uh, before we begin, just to let you know, I think the text today actually uh, will help us. What we'll learn today from the text will help us also hear uh, the gospel today. So there's going to be some intersection, which means I also expanded it a little bit over what we might have done um, so that uh, I give you something that works for both places. Make sense? Okay, good. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, you have revealed your goodness and love to us. Uh, sinners in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent and whom you have revealed by the Spirit. Uh, We ask that we would see Jesus where he has promised to be found, and in those gifts, namely of our baptism, uh, we would would have our hope and our salvation in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so chapter 2, we kind of went through it pretty quick with the cleansing of the temple. Huh, at the second half of the text, right? 13... 21. Uh, and then the argument I made last week, and if you weren't here, there's a handout. I know Eileen's still playing catch up. How many years did you teach Sunday school? You lost track. Okay. And for all the years that you missed adult class, you're trying to pack it in now. Although you went to, you go to ADL. It's over 40. I know it's over 40. She, she, she received instruction too to go over, over to our sister congregation uh, for class during the week. But regardless. Um, so I came to the Thursday morning and I dealt because I could never yeah. get to the Sunday morning. You're right. And it's actually worth talking about. I've already had that conversation with Cassie um, as we're talking about Sunday school in the fall. It's like um, you almost need like a rotation or some way that um, even, even, you know, if we had like a three or four Sunday school teachers, then it would make sense to just have like a class for the Sunday school teachers. You know, that others could come to as well. But, um, yeah, we want to be sensitive to that. Same thing with, like, parents who have young children but who want to go to adult class. You know, well, how do we address that so that they're able to go and yet their children are cared for? And do they, like, mom and dad alternate week to week? I've seen that. That worked out actually pretty well in Chicago. But it requires, you know, a nuclear household where you have both mom and dad. so Or at least grandparents. Or somehow you can kind of just flexibly... Um, balance it. And, and again, I, you know, I record everything so you can always listen later, but that doesn't give you the chance to interact. And then, uh, but the other thing is I, I don't, you can miss a week and it's not, you're not going to be completely out of touch because we're always backtracking a little bit. All right. So just by way of introduction. Um, oh yes. What were we talking about? I made the argument that when Christ cleanses the temple, um, that this is actually also fits within this theme of baptism that's chapters one through four. So we have water uh, and baptism. And you say, well, how is that with the temple? Um, 
and with consuming the temple, but that he, this is last week's, but I'm going to move it so it doesn't blow away. Uh, well, actually, here's my notes. I'll just tell you what I wrote, because that will help. Uh, we, have, we have Jesus taking away the sins of the world, being the, the place of sacrifice, the new temple in the new Jerusalem. All right, And so um, Jesus himself uh, is your access to God the Father. Right, which we see especially with the temple curtain being rent asunder, as, as the English would say. All right, good. Look at your handout. Hopefully you got one on the way in. You can see at the top, I give you a little bit of an outline with this whole interaction with Nicodemus, which we're not going to look at the whole thing today, of course, but um, uh, you, know, you can break it up into a couple different inter- exchanges. So the first exchange second exchange, third exchange, and the key word there within each one of those is Jesus' amen, amen statement. And I don't know what your translation says. Uh, If you look at, like, say, verse 5, what's it say? Mine says, most assuredly, I say to you. You may have, like, truly, truly. Is that what yours says? Yeah, truly, truly. It's just amen, amen. Um, But I don't think we say amen because we probably use amen, you know, in a liturgical context. And we think of it, we probably actually think of it meaning something different than it actually does. Um, You know, it's just the thing you say at the end of prayers. But it's actually, we've talked about this many times, it means... Let it be so. Yeah, let it be so. Everything that I just said, I believe. Yeah, so it's a pretty powerful word. And so when Jesus does the amen, amen, it's like, it's not just this is true, but this is most assuredly or completely and utterly. It's, It's what we would call... Uh, emphatic. He's emphatic. Right. So there's those three emphatic statements that all have amen, amen, or most assuredly, or truly, truly. Yeah, you see that? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's actually read it, and then we'll, we'll talk through it. Let's go ahead and start back in chapter 2, 23, which is... Oh, verily, verily. Oh, verily, verily. <laughs> She's found the King James. Nice. <laughs> uh, we're going to read chapter 3 all the way through verse 21, all right, which is, yeah, that first section. So now, when he was in Jerusalem, who would like to read? Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not leave man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Hmm. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with you. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, suddenly he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? You are... Israel's teacher said Jesus, and do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, 
but still you people do not accept that testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so keep going. Mm -hmm. yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. All right, thank you for that. That's kind of a tour de force, isn't it? Read that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but you want to hear it, I think you want to hear all the little sections. Before we kind of drill down, you want to hear it in context, right? Hear the broader, uh, encompassing thing of what's going on. And there's, there's actually a lot to be talked about there. Uh, now, the reason I said let's back up to 23, because I know your Bibles, you know, probably have chapter 3 with a big heading. Mine says Christ witnesses to Nicodemus, right? And so you think, oh, chapter 3 is standalone and it doesn't, you know, it just kind of, we just have a change of scenery or something like that. But you can see in 23 and 24, 25, that that is, um, it's, it seems transitional. I, yeah, transitional. But I would say it's more than that. It's actually, um, it's connecting with what came before with what's coming. And i give you some examples there. Um, notice that we have the Passover repeated again. I had these windows open because it's so, they were playing hangman and those pens are so sticky. Uh, so the Passover is repeated, and I gave you the citations there, right? So it was back in 2, verse 13, and now at the end of that pericope, we have the Passover. Again, he's still in the past. It's still the Passover, all right? And then um, the signs, those are mentioned again. So the signs here in verse 23, now those are mentioned by Nicodemus when he says, I see, you can do, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see? So we have Passover from the previous we have signs from the upcoming, right? Uh, we have these plurals of we and many. I didn't give you the citations there. Um, but what I'm getting at there is, uh, now when he was in Jerusalem Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. And then you see with Nicodemus, it says, he was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. All right, so you see that Nicodemus is coming as the representative of the many who believed in his name back in verse 23, which is actually pretty important, and we're going to talk about it in a moment. All right, so the, there's the many who have seen the signs and they, they believe, and then Nicodemus comes with questions about that belief. Right, so we're going to talk about what that means in a minute. Uh, there's also this pronoun, to him in what verses to him? Verse two. So, uh, how's that go? Man of the Pharisees came. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, actually, 
It doesn't actually say that. Huh. Um, my English actually adds to Jesus. In the Greek, it just says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him. Mine says he came to Jesus at night. Yeah. So the translator actually imposes upon the text Jesus. He puts Jesus's name in there, even though it says, you know, tan yedion, that's to the Jews. Uh, Hutos, him, came and said to him by night, so, uh, so actually the English kind of uh, deceives you a little bit there because um, there's no Jesus actually mentioned in verse 1. You're supposed to know, came to him, oh, who's that referring back to? Back to 2, verse 24, right? Jesus did not cons- commit himself to them because he knew all men. And now the man of the Pharisees, one of these guys, he came to Jesus, came to him by night. Him, meaning Jesus, who didn't entrust himself to them. <laughs> you see how the connections work? All right. I, this is grammatical, but, it, but it's helpful just, again, to say there are going to be times in John's Gospel, namely the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, where it doesn't seem to quite belong. There's a, there's a story there where it just kind of seems to get dropped in, and, then, and the connections at like 8 verse 11 back to 751, I think it is, it seems like though that, that's the connection, and then there's this story that just gets plopped in. But usually, almost always, if not always in John's Gospel, except for that exception, um, there's all these transitionary grammatical things. We're going into the next day, and he's in the same place, and he gives you all the hints to say this is a continuous narrative. Uh, but again, it's not just so that you know it's historical, and these things are happening one after another, which is true, but actually that they're teaching the same, they're on the same themes, and that's a continuation of the same teaching. Okay? Make sense? All right. So we want to talk about faith here because it, notice what it says in 23. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. All right? But, <laughs> here's where it gets tricky. But Jesus did not commit or entrust himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. It seems a little bit enigmatic of a statement, doesn't it? But the problem here is um, John is just not as, for lack of a better word, Pauline about faith, following St. Paul, um, as we are. When we think, or when I teach actually about faith, I say either you believe or you don't. Binary. There's either, you either have saving faith, you trust in Christ, or you don't trust in Christ. You, you, there's no like middle ground, except we actually, hmm, like uh, the one guy, Centurion, I think he was, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So the Christian actually does believe and fully trusts in God and at the same time completely distrusts and, and doesn't believe in God, right? The sinner hates God and doesn't want anything to do with him and the saint, by baptism, believes and trusts in him no matter what. At the same time, right? So, but that's different. We're not saying, well, I have weak faith or I have strong faith. That's the language that sometimes we use. So when I teach it, I usually teach it binary. I said, either trust in Jesus or you don't. There's not like this middle ground where you can kind of fudge it and just be like, I kind of think Jesus, well, I'm just going to say Jesus is a savior, but that's just in the event that things actually go sideways um, at the last day. (laughs) And it turns out that it was true that he was coming to judge the living and the dead. You follow? Now, John's not quite, again, not quite so precise. And so he has... um, Different, if you like different kinds of faith, 
uh, and it's not stronger or weaker, but it's here he, he says it very specifically. They have faith in his name because of the signs that he did. Right? But think about it this way. Maybe, maybe this will help. If um, somebody says, if God shows me a sign, then I'll believe. Ever heard that kind of expression? I don't know if you've ever said it. Pray like, Lord, just show me a sign and then I'll know what to do. Right? Now, what kind of faith is that? It's faith. You're saying, if you do this, then I'll do that. But it's like a transactional faith. <laughs> Give and take, right? You do this and then I'll believe in you. Right? Or I'll trust you. Whereas the faith that's commended to us in the scripture is one that says, I believe even when you don't show me a sign, even when it seems actually the things you show me or the things I experience are contrary to what I believe, right? I mean, think about somebody who's suffering from cancer, right? You say, well, I mean, if you were going to take that as a sign, what is it a sign of? Well, you're sick, certainly, right? That one's obvious that you're dying, maybe, right? I'm being punished. It could be, yeah. I'm being punished, God hates me, or he's, he's casting his judgment upon me. And Jesus disputes, or, yeah, he doesn't just dispute. I mean, he, he runs you against that teaching when, he's, when they ask him, this guy who's born blind, is he, you know, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? <laughs> and Jesus is like, um, neither. It's that the glory of God would be revealed in him and then he heals him, right? Um, now, that's a unique example because he actually tells us why the man is born blind. And so that for that moment in time, and usually we don't have that revealed to us. We don't know why we're suffering now with this or that. Uh, but in some cases, you can, I mean, the old, older folks can probably look back at their life and say, oh, I know that was kind of miserable. Uh, it was a terrible time, actually. <laughs> um, but I can see how, it was, how God used that to my benefit today. Sometimes. Sometimes you just say, that was the worst moment of my life. And I have no idea why that happened. So that's the danger of like using a sign, um, interpreting a sign one way or another, uh, especially when you don't have a word from God. Now, they have the advantage, these Jews, because they've seen the signs performed by the Son of God. <laughs> so they believe his name, that this is the Lord's saving. All right. But saving from what? From running out of wine? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, that's a big problem, I suppose, but it's not that big of a problem. So, so their faith is limited. Uh, see the second paragraph there? I give you this. Uh, actually, the one podcast that I'm on with, um, uh, what's it called? As Lutheran as it gets. We've actually been reading through Melanchthon's uh, Loci Communis, um, namely on the law and the gospel. Uh, but, it, but he actually, is, this is the first place that any, and anyone defines faith in this way. And then it, it ends up being confessed by the Lutherans in our Lutheran confessions. Actually, the reform, reform churches, they agree as well that this is what faith, how you can define faith. All right, so there's three parts. There's notitia in Latin. You know Latin. Yeah, yeah. Right. The cont, that's the content of faith from which we get like notate or what, notary. Right. It's the stuff. It's the, it's the data. So there's notitia. Sorry, you need, so that means you need the word of God. <laughs> okay. A census um, which from which we get assent, which means I agree, right? I said it's true. So conviction that the content is true. And then fiducia, which is trust or reliance. That's the Latin for faith. And by the way, faith in Greek is, is pistis. Uh, and let's see. So, so these Jews, they have the first part, 
the content of faith, right? There's Jesus and he's doing signs. Somewhat. They don't necessarily know what the signs indicate, if that makes sense. They see the signs. They see the signs as messianic, but they don't necessarily have the full content of what that sign indicates, which we're going to talk about with Nicodemus as well. Um, they might assent that it's true, that he did truly turn water into wine, for example. Right? But do they trust in him as a result of that? And if you look at, at Nicodemus as a representative of those who saw the signs, namely like the wedding at Cana, he comes to him and he doesn't seem to quite get it. He saw it, but he doesn't, he doesn't really trust in it. He, he, he wants to know more. That's because he doesn't have the full content of what, what, what's happening there. Does that make sense? Right? So this would be somebody who, um, well, I mean, think about how it would play out maybe in a, like an adult convert. They would come, they would hear the gospel, and say, and I, Jesus died for you, he forgives you your sins. Um, specifically today, he forgives you of your greed and your miserliness and your neglect of neighbor. Okay? That's the gospel text. Actually, it's all the text. Um, and they say, oh, that's good news. I believe that. And, and then you say, what would I say next? Are you baptized? And they're like, no, what's baptism? No, no, wait a minute. You just said you believe in Jesus, but now you don't want to be, or you don't know what baptism is? You don't, you see how that, what's lacking there is actually, again, that notitia, that, that data to say, actually, saving faith is one that trusts in Jesus and finds Jesus not just in the preaching of his word, but actually in the gifts that he institutes. Now, whose fault is that? It's not the person's fault. It's that, that has to be filled in, right? We have to fill in the data that Jesus gives us or, or instruct people to the sacrament, to baptism, to the supper, um, even to have you know, private absolution or whatever is uh, needed. Does that follow? So it, it's not that they don't have faith. It's that their faith is, what do you want to say, incomplete? Is that fair? Yeah. And, and so what Melanchthon's getting after here is what is saving faith? What is what faith actually saves you from sin, death, and the devil? You know, and is it just a word, believing a word, trusting in a word? Can that save? Maybe, um, but that, but more like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, who's talking to Philip on the road, says, you know, Philip fills in the data from Isaiah's scroll and says, here's and. This Isaiah, Isaiah's talking about Jesus, this guy who you just saw crucified and who rose from the dead. And then the eunuch says, well, then what's to prevent me from being baptized? Which is a really funny kind of statement because when you read Isaiah, there's lots of stuff about water, but not so much about like be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's a Christian thing. But the, the eunuch wants that. So um, that's an interesting point too. Ron, you have a question? That's interesting. That's very Jesus answers the question, but there was no question. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that in about two paragraphs down. I mean, so, like he, he knew it. Yeah, and this is why I'm doing this exercise of talking about what, it, what about these different kinds of faith, because I think it'll help us understand that, that interaction with Nicodemus, the first one. So you're just a little bit ahead of me, but we'll get to it here in a minute. That's all right. Ron, Ron's tracking. That's good. He's right. He's right with me. <laughs> To believe in the signs that Jesus does is to believe in that which the signs are signs. And I didn't want to end with a preposition of, (laughs) but that's how we talk, right? So to believe in Jesus is to believe in that which the signs are signs. Um, So they saw the the wedding at Cana, perhaps, 
I saw the water turn to wine, but do they know what that's actually pointing towards? Or do they simply just see it as a miracle? Or, I mean, but that's why John tells us, hey, those were the purification pots, right? For the Jewish rites of purification for the wedding. And that helped us fill in um, maybe what was actually going on there. Um, oh, I actually skipped a little bit. But anyway, you can read that on your own. Uh, think, oh, we talked about Exodus and that John has Exodus in his background, namely Moses. So Moses does these sort of things too all the time, right? Bronze serpent, the manna, the, the water from the rock. And these are all signs to re- help Israel remember Yes, God delivered you from Egypt and he's delivering you into the promised land. It takes a while, not because God is, is impatient, but because they are and, and also they don't trust him very well, right, when it comes to coming into the promised land. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it fits into this discussion, but this morning I raised to you, the speaker was talking about Gideon mm. asking for the signs. Yeah. And... He wasn't satisfied with one sign, he had more. Mm-hmm. I think it was like four or five signs. And, and God indulges them. I mean, that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sign, I mean, signs are helpful, but they're incomplete. Right? I mean, they find out that, oh, yeah, over and over, God keeps showing them signs to rem- so that they remember, yeah, I'm with you. And to point towards Moses, I've given you Moses to, to give you my word and, to, and, you know, so that you won't forget. And yet they keep. The sign's not complete. It doesn't, it doesn't do the whole salvation job. It only um, kind of keeps them in a holding pattern of sorts, I guess. Uh, but these signs, and this is the point we're trying to argue, uh, these signs only make sense in the context of, say, John chapter 19, the crucifixion. So you, you really don't know what Jesus is talking about until you get to the end of the story. And this has happened, I don't know, you watch movies or television where, where they do this, where it's inductive. They don't actually, there's no spoiler. And in the very end, there's the big reveal, right? You find out what actually was going on the whole time. And then when you go back and watch it again, you're like, oh, I see. They were giving me hints the whole time. And I, I was just being strung along. And uh, I was playing along. And going, I was right with them. And then when the reveal came, you know, it's like, oh, now I get it. And so the whole thing could, is understood differently after you see the end. I'm trying to think of an example. But it's like Captain Marvel. I don't know if it's like Captain Marvel. I saw that. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I'm trying to think of an example where it's actually one that I would encourage you to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's mysteries. That's right. Yeah, you find out at the end. And then you can... Yeah, that's true. A mystery now. You could go back and you say, oh, I see all the signs now. There were all those clues and behavior and words and that kind of thing. So it's the same thing with John's gospel. The first reading would be a little bit like, what just happened to me? <laughs> what did I just hear? Then you go back and read, and you're like, okay, I'm getting it now. Maybe the second read, third reading, um, it starts to fill in more. Uh, and that will come up with Nicodemus here in a minute. Nicodemus lacks saving faith because while he sees the signs, his faith is incomplete and susceptible to danger and apostasy. Jesus talks about this himself in chapter 6 and chapter 16. So you can go look at that if you'd like. Um, so he doesn't have all the notitia, that is, all the content of faith. Um, that is, the begetting from above, from water and the spirit. He, he does not know what Jesus is talking about. Because he's like, oh, I have to go back in my mother's womb a second time and be born. I don't know if he's just being kind of a stinker, 
you know, like you didn't answer my question. So I'm just going to, you know, I mean, it could be that, but I think he actually is like, I don't have any clue what you're talking about. You know what I mean? And uh, it could be said that John's emphasis, I would say, is the delivery of Jesus as the Lamb of God, the source of living water, which we'll get in chapter four, and reddened by the blood of the Lamb, which is in chapter 19. So here's the important point. Faith is not just an autonomous thing. That means a thing that stands alone, right? Uh, but faith, faith receives that which is given. Mm-hmm. So that's why we can say that there, there maybe are, at least in John's gospel, different kind of degrees of faith. So there's, there's the faith that says, um, I want to be baptized, which might be different, actually, than the faith that says, I believe that I receive washing of rebirth and renewal, that I become a child of God, that I am forgiven of all my sins in baptism. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and the church has struggled with this a little bit, uh, early church especially. Is like, well, what would be necessary like to receive the mystery of the Lord's Supper? That's a good example. And from, from you know, Irenaeus, Polycarp, I mean, so we're talking about uh, Polycarp's a disciple of John, legendarily. Um, from the very get-go, from the Didache, which is a first century like church manual, if you like, from the very beginning they said, you don't receive the mystery of the Lord's Supper until you've received the mystery of holy baptism. Baptism comes first. So you're being, if you like, you're being instructed and, and you're renouncing your old way of life and you're being drawn into saving faith. You're receiving that saving faith in baptism and having received that faith, now um, you're actually given to see the supper for what it is. And this is not something that we generally, since, since that's been the tradition for 2,000 years almost, um, it's not an exercise that we often go through. Ever, really pretty much ever go through is to ask somebody who's not baptized what is the Lord's Supper? I mean, what, on what occasion would we have to actually ask that question? Everybody who's here may be a rare visitor, but even that, they are usually baptized. So they already have the gift of the Holy Spirit. They already have that washing and rebirth and renewal. They already see God for who He is as their Heavenly Father by baptism. And so now the supper is being revealed to them actually by faith from the word. But, so we, we haven't asked the question of somebody who's not baptized. Now, what do you, why do you want to receive the Lord's Supper? It'd be very interesting to hear what they have to say. <laughs> well, I believe it's Christ's body and blood. It's like, I, I don't think they're going to say it. I, I think you'd be surprised. They're going to say, well, I don't know what it is, or it just seems like the thing that you guys are doing, so I want to go do it too, that kind of thing. Yeah, Ron. Well, that, that explains, as I mentioned once before, that in the early church, mm-hmm. before the communion service, at least the Christians were not baptized. Right. Yeah, because they, they, they recognize, especially for adults, but even for children, that they need to hear God's word in order to actually be led to baptism. It's, it's the word of God that draws someone to baptism. You know, and, and when we kind of shortchange baptism, which... I don't think we do it intentionally, but it does happen where we say something like, um, well, you should just be baptized because that's, that's a good thing for you to do. And that's on a show we were watching this weekend and I watched them. They're like, neither of them actually believed anything. It was a Catholic church and they didn't believe anything about it, but they're like, yeah, we figure we should just do this. It seems important. You're like, oh, well, I mean, God can use that. Let's not be... Let's not shell baptism short that way too to say that God can't use even a parent's unbelief 
um, to his advantage, right? To bring somebody into the, the household of God. My point, though, is, no, you want to actually compel people to baptism for the reasons that God gives it. This is how, this is how God makes you his child. And, and through baptism, you get to call God your father. And you get every, all the benefits of, of him being your father that you don't actually have apart from baptism, according to the scriptures. Right? Um, you know, being a creature, we talked about this yesterday, being a creature of God is not the same as being a child of God. And, and that's another way that we sell things short. We sell baptism short by saying, well, everybody's a child of God because they're all been made by God. Right? Not begotten from above, not given the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's not the same thing. Just having life, which God gives you, absolutely, is not the same as this new life that you receive in baptism. Make sense? So, again, it's a degree of faith. Um, and this is John. And so we needed to kind of explain this whole, how does he say, many believed in his name when they saw the signs, but Jesus did not, what, mine says commit himself. What did yours say? Entrust himself to them yet. And why did he not entrust himself to yet, them yet? Because he knew all people. He knew all people. In other words, he hasn't actually shown them everything they need to know yet. You see this also in the synoptics um, where they remember, in John 2, where they remember everything that he said and did. And now they understand. Especially at Pentecost. You know, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And now they have not only infinite recall, they remember what Jesus said and did, but they also, they understand why he did it. And, and that, this is um, maybe an argument again about baptism that's a helpful one to kind of consider is there are those Baptists namely who say, well, baptism isn't that big of a deal in the New Testament. And there's different kinds of baptism and, you know, there's spirit baptism and water baptism and fire baptism. And I don't know what other baptisms they have. And, uh, and it's not clear that baptism is a universal mandate that all are to be baptized. And so they go about it this way. Except when you look at the, you know, we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. You look at what the apostles did and what the disciples of the apostles did. They baptized. Read the book of Acts. They baptized. Everybody was being baptized all the time. They believed and then they were baptized. Or they were baptized and they believed. And that's the de facto normal thing that's happening. They understood that this Jesus... Jesus' baptism now, which was at the beginning of his ministry, as we hear in John in the synoptics, that that's the beginning of our life of faith too. And immediately that's what they're doing. Um, all that content has been filled in. Um, so my guess is, maybe a good way to explain that, is that they're better scholars of the Bible than we, we are. They had no problem seeing, oh yeah, Jesus wanted us to baptize everybody. It's not just the command in Matthew 28. Right, go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Although that's how, if you need super clear, there it is, right? But that, no, this story has always been about baptism. It's always been about being in communion with, with Christ, um, being made his child, about being restored as the new Israel by uh, feasting with the Lord upon the mountain. This is what the story's always been about from the beginning. The Eden, you know, Garden of Eden restored to us, if you like. So, yeah, let's not sell it short. Um, but also recognize that means we have, we have information. <laughs> in other words, the scriptures to fill in, right? which is why you're here to study God's word. So it gets filled in for you. Or refilled, I guess it'd be better to do it. All right, John, uh, Ron's question. Ready for Ron's question? So um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, which is important. 
we'll talk about it in a moment, and asks him, Rabbi, which is a big title, that's important. I mean, he's, he's given Jesus a little cred here, street cred, as they, the kids say. Do you say that? Oh, somebody says it. <laughs> we know that you are a teacher come from God. <laughs> that's pretty significant, right? They're acknowledging that he has divine authority. Huh? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, I mean, Nicodemus is like, okay, he could just be buttering him up. I don't think so. I think they see him as a messianic figure. Um, incidentally, if you read the, uh, if you have some time to go read all the Qumran scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I don't know if you have time to go research these things. Um, but the, the people in Qumran who are, um, what, like right before the time of Jesus, that's why those scrolls are so significant. Is that they're from the time of Jesus, and we find out that what's written in their scrolls is what we have in our Bibles 2,000 years later, our Old Testament scroll, uh, Bible. So the text really hasn't been deformed or anything like that, which is helpful. But they also have other writings where they just kind of, you know, you know it's like basically sermons about what the Old Testament says. They expect a couple different messiahs. It's weird. They have different kind of messianic figures that have different jobs. And you saw, saw this back in John chapter 1, where, where they, they say, are you John the Baptist? Are you Elijah? Are you, Mo, are you the prophet? Right? So they, they're looking for all these different figures, actually, to come back. Maybe Elijah again, because he was assumed into heaven. Uh, Moses, um, we talked about that. If you could, that was many, many weeks ago. Um, or just this Messiah, son of David figure, too. But all these different characters that they expect to come back at the dawning of the new age. Why did I bring that up? Oh, well, it seems like Nicodemus has attached to Jesus. Maybe he's one of these messiahs. Because he's doing signs. God seems to be with him. He, he comes from God. He teaches according to God. So is it a, Ron, is it a question? It doesn't really. No, it doesn't really, does it? Is he asking Jesus a question? I, I, I think it's an implicit question. We say that you came from God. You seem to come from God. Is that true? Does that make sense? He's looking for confirmation. Yeah, confirmation, right. Right, because remember, he believes in the name, but does he believe? Not quite. He sees the signs, but he's not quite sure what the signs indicate. Like, what's your actual name? Are you the son of, are you son of man, son of David, um, king from heaven? I mean, what's your title? Uh, what's your name? What have you come to do? Which of these messiahs are you? Again, that same question from chapter one is here too, I think, in the background. <laughs> and Jesus just says to him, Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is saying to him, it's, at first it seems he's just disregarding it, but I don't think that's it. I think he's telling him, you're not going to understand who I am until you're baptized. Not fully, not completely. Until you are born by water and the Spirit, which comes up in verse 5, you're not going to have any clue. This doesn't make sense to you. And like I was saying, to the reader of this gospel, it doesn't make sense to, to the reader either who doesn't know a baptism. If you didn't know a baptism, you would say, I have no idea what's going on here. What is he talking about? Being be It's actually begotten from above. <laughs> we use the word born because we, oh, I don't know. It just seems a little less churchy. Uh, but this word begotten is uh, geneo, which is, is the same word as Genesis. It's where we get Genesis from. It's to be Genesis from above. That is, what is Genesis? 
to... A book of the Bible. Yeah, it's a book of the Bible. What happens in Genesis? God speaks, right? And he breathes upon stuff and life comes into it. It's new life. Yeah, it's a new beginning, new life. So that's why I point that out to you. It's not just being born again, although that's true. That's a fine way to translate it. Uh, it could be born above. It's a nothen in Greek. So born from God or born again, regenerated. You um, can't see the kingdom of God. So you're just not going to see it. You're not going to get it apart from that gift, which doesn't really help Nicodemus all that much, does it? <laughs> But, but this, I mean, this is an important point. You cannot see something until you receive and possess that which you see. Uh, what would be an example of this? You see the cookies on the counter. You, you know there are cookies. But you don't really understand them or have them as cookies until you have them in your mouth. <laughs> right? Now you know they are cookies. And they're good cookies. They look good. They taste good. You know them. They are good cookies. Was that too simple for you? No. No. You see, you see how the, yeah, the experience confirms what you see. Yeah, you see them. Maybe you smell them too. But Yeah, you take in all the sensory aspects of it and you bring in the whole thing. Now you get it, right? Baptism is the same way. If you see baptism from a distance, it looks special. I mean, we do all sorts of things to make it look special too, right? We have this, this special contraption with this extraordinarily large lid and, and silver bowl. I think it's silver. Yeah, you know, seems nice. It's not aluminum or stainless. I think it's silver. I'm looking at Alter <laughs> Maybe it is. I haven't looked at it recently. Does it get patina on it? Then you know, right? Um, or tarnished, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, we have this whole ceremony and pastor's dressed up and there's a candle and there's other candles and then there's white garments. and it's, It looks impressive, but that isn't the same as actually having received it, right? Where you say, no... That, that, is, that is my new birth by the water and the Spirit. And even then, you have to hear that, don't you? And the words need to actually carry the meaning. Because apart from the words, you would just say, like, uh, did, did anybody watch the show Lost back in the day? You haven't heard this example. No. Yeah, okay, there's a scene. There's a baby born on the island. The island can't actually, you can't have babies on the island because it's this, like, strange government. Um, test site, but you don't have to know all the backstory. It's, it's kind of a sci-fi thing. Anyway, there's a baby born because it was conceived before the person came to the island. So she was pregnant when she was on the airplane that crashed on the island. Okay. Sorry. Since you didn't know, I had to backfill it. Anyway, there's this guy whose brother is a priest who died in the plane crash, but he takes his brother's place, and he's actually a drug dealer, but he wears the collar, so he thinks, so that people don't know that he's a drug dealer, that he's a, they think he's a priest. Okay. And there's a baby, and there's a, so now there's a baby and a priest. So what do you do when you have a baby and there's a, and a pastor? Baptize. Yeah, you baptize, right? Okay, it makes sense. So they think the baby and the mom, because the mom is single mom and, and she's young and, and you know she's terrified that the child's going to die on the island like everybody else. And uh, which, by the way, well, I don't want to spoil it. Are you going to watch like all seven, eight seasons? Go back and watch it. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out they're already dead. But this is just like in between limbo state. Which doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so he takes... So the scene is they put on this swelling music and they walk out into the ocean and he puts the baby under the water. And it, oh, it looks so special and everybody's crying and it's just, oh, it's nice. 
you know, never mind it's a drug dealer. And, yeah, anyway. But there's no words. There were no words. It was so compelling to me at the time. I don't know if it's compelling to you. But, you know, to have this, this extraordinarily event happening, extraordinary event happening. And by the way, even if he's a drug dealer, if, if, if it's God's word and water and the Spirit's present, it's still baptism, even if he doesn't believe any of it, actually. Or, or the mom doesn't believe any of it. It's still baptism. Um, but anyway, there was no words on the show. And you're like, well, that, I mean, that was kind of cool, but what, what good did that do that little person? Without the words, you have no idea. It just looks like some kind of like ritual washing or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, words. And uh, the words here that are very important, uh, Nicodemus being actually an important character, he comes here at night, chapter 3. He shows up at night again in chapter 19 with, with his friend Joseph of Arimathea, who is also part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And they come at night to take Jesus' body, right, and bury him. And so what faith he has, does not have, by chapter 19, it seems, by the crucifixion, he's still with Jesus. So even Jesus' like rebuke and kind of like not really answering his implicit question um, doesn't turn him away. He sticks with Jesus, and he's there at the end. But secretly, of course, for fear of... of <laughs> of his fellow Jews, you know, who will kill him for this, as they killed the one who he's following. Uh, but also, light and, and light and darkness comes up later in the chapter, which uh, Eileen read for us. And uh, so, uh, darkness is equated with blindness in the Bible, uh, but in John and Isaiah too, right? And light being equated with revelation. We talked about that in terms of like epiphany, right, with the wedding being an epiphany thing where God opens up the eyes of the blind, right, to see him for who he is, and he does it with his signs. Otherwise, their eyes are closed in a sense. They're blind. They just don't see him for who he is. So sight comes um, when you recognize Jesus as the word, the son of God. Chapter 1, and then you'll see it here again. Chapter 3, 19 to 21. Following so far? All right, we talked about the high title. Um, Again, Jesus seems to disregard the question, but maybe the question is actually about baptism. Uh, here's the thing. They're all looking for the salvation of Israel. They're looking for the renewal of Israel. That's what the Jews want. That's what the ruling council want. And are you the one who's come to restore the kingdom? That's the point. Now, of course, they have a very different understanding of what the kingdom is and what Israel is as the people of God. Okay? So, uh, Jesus is going to reveal to them, my kingdom is not of this world, as he tells Pilate, at his crucifixion, chapter 18, I think it is. Um, if it were, I'd send soldiers and all that kind of stuff, right? You say that I'm a king. Pilate says, yeah, you are a king. He wrote it above his cross, even. <laughs> uh, well, he said he was king. Pilate's saying, no, what I've written, I've written. It's true, he's a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. Pilate doesn't even know what he's doing. Isn't that incredible? But he confesses the truth, even as a pagan. Um, that's the Holy Spirit's work there. And... Um, his kingdom's not of this world. Being brought into that kingdom is not in the way of this world either. So what do the Jews believe? How, how do you get to be part of Israel? Think Romans 4, 5, 6. How do you get to be a child of Israel? This is in the background here. By flesh. Whose flesh? 
sons of Abraham, right? Not by faith, but by by actual bloodline, right? So you could be you could marry in, and you could be adopted in, I guess. Although they, they seem to disregard the adoption as being a thing. And they, they kind of also disregard all the sojourner talk in the Bible, too, about being brought into Israel by sojourning. They also seem to, you see this in the synoptics and the uh, genealogies, they seem to have forgotten that there's actually characters in their genealogy that don't really belong, <laughs> like Tamar and Rahab and uh, Uriah's wife, you know. He was a Hittite. Uh, she was a Hittite, yeah. These, these people don't really, those, especially women, but never mind they were pagan women, um, and not all the most upstanding characters of women either. And yet they're in Jesus lineage <laughs> uh, and in yours too then uh, which is a beautiful thing and that's that's the kind of Israel that Jesus wants right it's not it's not one that that's just by lineage I mean where do we see this play out oh a good example of this would be um, in Europe so we had Christian nations and in, as a citizen of those Christian nations I don't know which ones especially Lutheran places so you know Scandinavia Denmark, Finland, Sweden. This is still true today. If you're a citizen of the country, um, the church has to baptize you. You get baptism. That's actually how you become a citizen, is through baptism of the state of whatever, Denmark. Does that make any sense? No, because what kingdom are you actually baptized into? It's Christ's kingdom. And is that the state of Denmark? No. No. So their baptism has gotten transformed into this into the wrong kind of gift. They were doing the same thing with their being born of Abraham. They were saying that that just being born of Abraham means I'm a child of God. I'm a child of Israel. Automatically, default. Of course, I have to keep it safe by keeping the laws and commands. But um, you know, it's it's not. They didn't really even see it as a gift of God. Um, maybe in a kind of abstract sense, but not in an immediate sense. Like to you individually, God has made you His child. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. So and so was my my relative, and so because of that, I'm part of Israel. So that's nice, right? Is, is that following? Following all that? Um, and so we have the same thing happening here in regards to Nicodemus. You're not going to see any of this. You're not going to understand it unless unless you are conceived and begotten of God, renewed, removed of you know have sin removed. That all has to be done to you before you're going to get it. So again, what we're running up against here is maybe the way that people define faith as, what did I say, spiritual wisdom. I know things about God. Or as as Nacho Libre said. You ever seen Nacho Libre? Okay, strange movie references. Sorry. It's Jack Black, you know, comedian. (laughs) And he's a Mexican wrestler. But he's actually a child of of a Scandinavian Lutheran missionary who married a Mexican <laughs> at, the, at the mission. It's, it's in the movie. I should say, a Lutheran missionary. You know, my mother was a Lutheran missionary. I'm like, whoa, that's funny. Because it's a comedy about this guy who wrestles. Uh, he's a Mex- Mexican wrestler. Anyway, but he, said, he says, I know a boatload about, or actually that's not the word he says, but I'll say boatload about the gospel. I know a boatload about the gospel. He, he uses a different expression, but you can just kind of guess. All right. And like, okay, that's fine, but is that saving faith? Just to know a bunch of stuff. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, maybe this is a difference between, uh, Cass and I were talking about this, what title I should have. 
for the school. Yeah. And religion instructor or teach, religion teacher. It's like, no, I mean, that because that implies just content. It's just faith content. Um, but what, what we, we use this churchy word, uh, it's a scripture word, catechesis, which is, yes, I convey knowledge, but then the goal is that you would actually repeat it back to me in faith. You see? So I'm saying, here's what Jesus said. And he's like, that's what Jesus said. I believe that. And they say it back. Right? And that's what we do at confirmation when they say, I believe, I believe, I believe. You're like, yeah, great. That was the whole point. Not just to give you knowledge and information, but that you would trust it. Like, for example, now what we're studying now, that you would trust in your baptism, that gift from God, that that's how you believe. Not because of your own reason or strength, but because of what he's given to you in baptism. Follow? On your head, yes. Okay, good. Backside. Uh, we did talk about kingdom of God. Uh, we talked about this yesterday, actually, with the children in VBS as well. But um, it's worth emphasizing here. Uh, in John's gospel, he doesn't view kingdom as a place. Now, the, now the, people, the Jews who come to Jesus do think of it as like a place, like the kingdom of Israel, meaning like David's kingdom. Uh, northern and southern tribes all put together. Um, in John's gospel, it, this just doesn't come out in English very well, but the king kings, or the ruler rules, or the, the reigner reigns. Okay. It has this active, dynamic sense. We talked about this yesterday. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus as your king? Is he up? And, they, and everybody wants to say, up in heaven. Yeah, right hand of God. True, it's in the, it's in the creed. But it is, he rules with truth and love. Well, where does he do that? Yeah, by his spirit here. Yeah. His kingdom is not of this world. All right? But his kingdom is in this world. Actually, Paul talks about that, right? Be, up, be in the world, but not of the world, right? His church is in the world, but it's not of the world. Yeah, we're like, um, okay, if, if, this king, if this world is the devil's kingdom, right? Um, how does he view the church? As like, like a virus or a parasite. Or, 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 no, it's not even that. Like this foreign thing that doesn't belong in this world. And, and what, like, what does your body do when you have an infection? Well, it fights it. Yeah, it sends antibodies and, um, you know, to kill it. Because it doesn't belong here. And the church doesn't belong here. But it is here because, you see, what Jesus is doing? I've overcome the world. Uh-huh. Does that follow? Is that a nice analogy? Is that helpful? Yeah. Oh, I, the reason I mention that is that Jesus reigns here. He reigns in the midst of sin, death, and devil. Um, he overcomes it, right? But it also means that um, the place where the devil's attack is most fierce, uh, demonic attack is most fierce, is in the church. And in all the ways that the church extends that ministry into the world, like the school. So, Cassie knows this. Uh, Marlene probably knows this. Um, the behavior of children... Well, you, did you ever teach in public school? No, Okay. Uh, my mom teached public school, but she did teach Lutheran school for a little bit. And she's always just amazed at uh, all the stories that my, like my sister would bring home, talking about like what happened in school today. And she's like, that never happens in the public school. Why not? I know we've talked about that. What's the devil care about the public school? They're not teaching the faith, right? They might be giving virtues and ways, you know, ways to live as a good neighbor, but they're not teaching faith in Christ. He doesn't care. He leaves them alone. But there's no harm. Uh, and they actually go along with it anyway. 
so again, his kingdom is not of this world, which we hear in chapter, again, chapter 18, 33 to 38, somewhere in there, which I give you the citation. Um, and you see this expectation, though, that he's going to be this kind of king that has a kingdom, earthly kingdom, rather than just being a king who just rules wherever he is. But that's how Jesus works. Wherever he is, he's ruling. So if he's baptizing you, he's ruling over you. If he's giving you his body, he's ruling over you. If he's forgiving your sins, he's ruling over sin and death. That's what he's doing. Does that make sense? He's kinging. <laughs> it just doesn't work in English. We don't, the verb and the noun aren't the same word for us. They are in Greek. Right? The king rules and the ruler reigns. Right? I don't know. Even though it's the same word. Um... Hmm, what else do we want to talk about there? Oh, the entry into Jerusalem, right? They acknowledge, they think him as a king, like David, comes in on his donkey, or Solomon, having won his battles, and now he's ready to rule. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's entering not because he's won the battles, but because he's there to overcome them and their sin. Mm-hmm. The reign of God is revealed and comes in the crucified Jesus, the Lamb of God, the true Son of God. That's John's point. To participate in the death of Chris, no, that's actually don't participate in my death. Let's participate in the death of Christ. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, is to be begotten from above. That's how you're joined to Christ's death, is when you're given new life by his death. I know it seems backwards. Jesus dies that you would have life. That's what he says in John's gospel, right? So he gives his life for your life. He takes your death into his death. To see the kingdom of God is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You finally, you're a little late to the, the party there. That was the joke about two minutes ago. All right. all right, so then Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? So he's kind of tracking now. Like, all right, well, you're not going to play, you're not going to answer my question, so I'll ask you a question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answers here, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, we probably should hold off on that, but you see maybe just what we were talking about, and then I won't have to repeat it next time. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Right? So what's he getting at with Nicodemus? You are not going to be a child of God. You're not going to be brought into the kingdom of God. Israel's not going to be renewed by flesh. That is, by natural birth. That is, child of Abraham. Right? Or child of Jacob. Or of Israel. See how that works? But this is going to be something new. By the way, we, we actually get this right when we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament, the books of the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, they supplant, they replace, they overcome the Old so the law is fulfilled in the gospel. That is, Jesus dies to fulfill the law. The law is fulfilled in Jesus. Right? It doesn't mean the law has no import for Christians. But as far as trying to be saved by the law, it's done. The gospel takes its place. Jesus dies for you. That's how he saves you. Right? And being children of Abraham, it seemed to do the trick for a while. That's how God preserved his people in order that the Savior would be born. Once the Savior is born, he gives new birth by water and the Spirit as we see in his baptism. That's how you become a child of God. Not by circumcision, not by a mark of covenant, not by an agreement, not by birth, human birth, but by new birth. See how that works? Yeah. So Christians and Jews, we have some things in common, we have scriptures in common, and we have a very different way of hearing them. (laughs) Uh, 
we don't understand the Ten Commandments even the same at all, which is interesting because we like to think we do. That's why we put them on the on our courthouses. All right, uh, keep your sheet because we'll, we'll look at this last paragraph again, maybe to start us off, and then uh, we'll keep plowing into Nicodemus here. That's not a fair expression. We'll keep listening to Nicodemus get schooled in the in the in the house of Jesus. <laughs> All right, Lord be with you. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.